Thank you very much. It's great to be here again today. A slight change of plan, though, because Neil was due to be speaking today, just so that you, to let you know. And, um, but he's been ill. He's got that lurgy, which has been going around. No doubt some of you have had it, and if you haven't, then bless you. You may well know of someone who has, so we're starting our series on Philippians a week early. And I'm going to be reading. It's great to see you, by the way. It's very encouraging. I'm encouraged to be here today and to see you. Yeah, many familiar faces and some not so familiar, but it's great to see you all. So bless you. We're praying for you. Pray regularly for the King's Church in Hazelmere. Praying for God's blessing upon you. Praying that uh, the Lord will add. The Lord will encourage you. The Lord will strengthen you. We're praying regularly. You're certainly not forgotten down in the town center. Let me assure you of that. So Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people, holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And we've called this series Reflecting Jesus to the World. And there'll be many things that will come out as we go through this series. I was just reading through the book again this week. Living wisely and well in a hostile culture comes out. Being like a light in a dark room. Growing in expressions of authentic love. And we heard something about that in the passage that was just read. Looking out for others. We'll come across that. Being unselfish. Rejoicing in what Christ has done. Having confidence in what he's done. And again, that came out in the passage and following his perfect example. Just to give us something of the background of the book. Yep. Um, it was written about AD 61. The Apostle Paul was going through a difficult time. He was under house arrest, probably, most of the commentators say, in Rome. He would have been chained up to a guard. So his uh, ability to do what he wanted to do was quite restricted. He had to get the approval from the guard. He was under possible sentence of death as well. That could be the outcome of his trial. This is at the time of Emperor Nero. He was a nasty piece of work. Among other things, he poisoned his stepbrother and he had his mother put to death. And uh, when there was a great fire in Rome in AD 64, he blamed the Christians for the great fire and he had many of them put to death in a barbaric manner. So he was the ruler during the time that Paul wrote this letter. It was not an easy situation from which he was writing the letter. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking it's maybe a bit like North Korea might be today. 
And yet this letter is full of confidence and joy. On his second missionary journey, Paul wanted to go to Bithynia. Now Bithynia is this area here. But it says in Acts uh, 16 that the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So the Lord closed that door for them to go to this place in Bithynia. But when the Lord closed that door, he opened another one. They went to Troas. And at Troas, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man. Macedonia is over here. He had a vision of a Macedonian man calling them to come and help them. So Paul went with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the gospel. And they sailed across to this place here, Neapolis, and they made their way to Philippi. When they were at Philippi, and this was in about AD 50, by the way. When they arrived in Philippi, Paul and Silas and the others went outside the city to a river where they knew there was a, or they discovered there was a place of prayer where some of the women went outside the city to pray. And the Lord, it tells us in Acts 16, opened the heart of a woman called Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. It seems as if she was quite wealthy. She became a believer and invited them to stay at her house. So she became one of the first believers in Philippi. Later on, we read of another incident that happened in Philippi. It was when Paul and Silas were out preaching the gospel, and this uh, slave girl followed them around saying, these guys are servant of the Most High God. But Paul realized that this, what she was saying, was not coming from the Spirit of God, but from a demonic spirit. And so he delivered the girl from the demonic spirit, and this girl was used by her owners in order to predict the future. So they weren't happy that she wasn't able to do this anymore. And so they went to the magistrates and they had Paul and Silas severely beaten, severely flogged and thrown in prison. And while they were in prison, they were singing the praises of the Lord and there was a severe earthquake. The prison doors flung open and the jailer was about to kill himself because he realized that he was going to be held responsible if any of the prisoners escaped. But Paul said, no, no, we're not going to escape And they shared the good news with the jailer, and the jailer and all his household became believers. So this is the beginning of the church in Philippi, and you can read about that in Acts 16. By the way, it's the first church in what we now recognize as Europe. And it's clear from this letter that Paul has a great love for the Philippian church. They have helped him in his ministry. They've sent Epaphroditus to him with some gifts. And despite his, to say difficult, is underestimating, at present circumstances, he writes with deep thankfulness. Could I please encourage you, if you get the opportunity, to sit down and read the whole book in one sitting? It's only four chapters. It won't take that long, maybe 12 minutes, maybe 15. Or if you don't feel like reading it, you can listen to it through the internet. You can download it onto your phone. You could listen to it on a CD in your car. There's very many different ways in which you could access the book. But I just encourage you to see if you can just do it in one sitting, maybe even as well. If you're feeling particularly adventurous, read it in different versions, just to get a flavor of what the whole book is about. Let me encourage you to do that as we go through this series. I want to say three things this morning from this passage, and I'm not covering everything in the passage. I want to say we have a new status. We have a new life. And we're in a new community. We have a new status. We have a new life. And we're in a new community. Let me start by saying we're in a new, we have a new status. Let's look at the text. Verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, 
to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So here they are, the believers are in Christ, and they're also in Philippi. To be in Christ, something radical has to have happened. The fact that we're in Christ should take precedence over the fact that we're in the UK, or in Nigeria, or in Nepal, or in South Africa, or in Pakistan, or wherever. In other words, our values, our worldview, should be shaped by the fact that we are in Christ. For Paul and the Philippian church, the fact that they were in Christ brought them into conflict with being in Philippi. We don't go out of our way to seek conflict, but if our worldview and our allegiance to Christ comes first, then it may well bring us into conflict with the culture in which we live. In many cultures, the mere fact you want to follow Christ is regarded as a betrayal of your culture. If you follow Jesus, if you take that path, we will disown you. And I've heard many occasions in many cultures where that's happened. You are considered uh, anathema if you decide that you're going to follow Christ and be in Christ instead of following the rules and regulations and worldview of your culture. So those people in many cultures who want to follow Jesus are under huge pressure from their family, huge pressure from the community that they're in. And if particularly you want to get baptized in some cultures in the world, you're considered a total outcast, hated. You may even be killed. Why is that? Because your worldview is different. You're in Christ. You don't take on the worldview of the culture in which you're in. And the way that we should look at our culture or any culture that you come from is we look through the lens of we're in Christ. That's the first thing we do. And I've seen, as I've been around the world, not all the world, obviously, but some parts, I've seen where this, where even Christians are influenced by the culture more than perhaps they should be. And they, they, they find it difficult to sometimes look through the lens of being in Christ because the culture influences behavior so much. And it's very difficult for some people when the, the ties of family and community are very strong and where the issue of shame is such a big thing in those cultures to be in Christ and to follow Jesus. And pressures can be put to bear. See, we've not simply taken on a new religion. We've not simply taken on a new belief system. But we have a new status in relation to God. We've been given a new life. And we are now part of a new community. In fact, Paul says we are a new creation. So when you follow Jesus, it's not simply like having a makeover. There's something radical, something deep, something profound has happened in your life. Jesus refers to it in other ways of saying, you are born again. You have a new status. And therefore, when we look at the world, when we look at our culture, we should be looking at it from the values of Christ, from the worldview of Christianity. I remember when I was a student, and I had to study uh, lots of things to do with society. 
And the primary way in which we had to look at the society was through the lens of Marxism, the values that Marxism had of the culture. In other words, the conflict between different uh, branches of society, the proletariat, the working class, and the bourgeoisie, the middle class, and so on. And I remember saying to the lecturer, why do we look at it through the lens of Marxism? And he said to me, rightly or wrongly, I was a young student then, I didn't know any better. He said to me, oh, because it's the only comprehensive way of looking at society. And I remember thinking, actually, no, it's not. Because I can look at society through the lens of Christianity. Original sin affects the whole world, for example, is one way of looking at it through the lens of Christianity. Anyway, we have a new worldview. We're a new creation. We're forgiven. We're accepted. The Philippian believers, they were a colony of heaven in a difficult environment. We're a colony of heaven. We look to another king, another citizenship. Now, this is not an excuse for us to be difficult or weird or just act in a strange way. That's not what it's about, but it's about being like lights in the darkness. As we grow in our love for others, as we grow in our ability to make right choices, and as we grow in our confidence in the Lord. In other words, standing firm and progressing in our faith. And Paul writes this letter because he wants the Philippians to be able to stand and progress in their faith. He wants them to have a confidence in the gospel. And he writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to gloss over this because I think this is so crucial. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's wonderful news from the outset. Now, as I've been preparing, I'm thinking, I would like every single person who listens to this to hear this for themselves personally. So I want you to hear this phrase that Paul uses for yourself personally this morning. Whatever situation you're in, and I understand there's a prophetic word about Jesus being in the eye of the storm which would indicate there's some kind of storm. So I want you to hear this this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that as if you're the only person in the room. I want you to hear that as if it's the Apostle Paul himself saying it to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about grace, and uh, as I was thinking about grace, well, we know it's God's extravagant love that we don't deserve. We know that. And I was trying to think of different ways of expressing that. His mercies are new every morning. And I began to think of smells that I like. You may think that's a strange way of relating it to grace, but I did. And um, I looked up on the internet a survey. What are the people's favorite smells? And there was a big survey done in 2015. What do you think was the top one? I'm just, I'm just interested in your suggestions. I'll tell you in a minute which was the top one. Okay, the top one was the smell of freshly baking bread. And I thought, I thought, well, I understand now why some supermarkets now do that. You know, they have that. They have a little bakery section because you go in the shop and ah, you might not have thought that you wanted a loaf of bread. But when you walk in, ah, you go to the bread section. And... Uh, I don't know why I thought bread uh, grace was like that, but I suppose 
nice smells evoke nice memories, evoke a nice feeling, evoke a nice feeling of comfort, a bit like, for me, the grace of God. By the way, the next one was the smell of sizzling bacon. Uh, And the third was the smell of a freshly cut lawn. Now, I would agree with that, especially if someone else has done it. Looking at no one in particular. Uh, And coffee was another one. So yeah. But anyway, grace and peace to you. God's unearned love and kindness. God wants to bless us. And um, not only that, grace in itself will be wonderful, but also peace. Jesus says, I give you my peace. And again, I heard that prophetic word this morning. Being in the eye of the storm. And Jesus says, I give you my peace. What's his peace like? Well, his peace is not driven by circumstances. His peace is settled. And I was thinking of the the time when the disciples took the boat out on the lake and the storm came up. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they were all panicking. And the waves and the splashing into the boat, they thought they were going to drown. Jesus is asleep in the peace of God, in the midst of the storm. My peace I give you. And again, I feel the Lord wants to say, and I wrote this down, so I didn't know that prophetic word was going to be given. I wrote this down, and I put it in bold. I felt the Lord wanted to say to you, I want to give you my peace this morning. I want to give you my peace this morning. Are you in a storm? Jesus says, I want to give you my peace this morning. And it doesn't depend on circumstances. Jesus' peace certainly didn't. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Father, who loves us, who numbers the hairs on your head. I was looking out of our kitchen window the other day, and I saw some sparrows flitting around on the branches of a tree, and I was reminded of what Jesus said. He said, don't you know that even if one fat sparrow falls to the ground, my heavenly Father sees it? And I looked up again on the internet. The internet's very handy. Uh, We have got in our country apparently 5 million breeding pairs of sparrows in the UK. According to the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. And not only that, but sparrows have managed to colonize most of the world. So most of the places you would go in the world, you're likely to see a sparrow. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. He sees the sparrow fall. Who numbers the hairs in your head. His love is not fickle. It's not changeable. It's settled. It's purposeful. It's reliable. It's powerful. Do you find that sometimes your love waxes and wanes? It sort of gets, sometimes you, you love more than at other times, depending on how you're feeling. God's love isn't like that. It's settled. It's a settled love. It's a purposeful love. It's a reliable love. And it's personal for you. From our Lord Jesus Christ, who demonstrates God's perfect love as he dies on the cross, so that we might be forgiven. Are you in doubt of God's love? Then look at the cross. And that tells you that God loves you. So we have a new status. We're in Christ. God is our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ fills us with God's love as well. We have a new life. And we've recently had new life in our family. We've had two new grandchildren. Uh, they get weighed at birth. Children, 
It's my understanding. If you've had a baby, one of the first things that happens is the child gets weighed. And we had a birth announcement down at Wickham this morning, and the baby weighed 8 pounds, 12 ounces. But that's not the only time that the baby will get weighed. The baby will get weighed again and again and again. Why does the baby get weighed again and again and again? Because you want to see if the child is growing. And if a year later you went and the child was still 8 pounds, 12 ounces, the same as the child was at birth, you would be slightly concerned, to put it mildly, wouldn't you? In fact, you would be alarmed. You'd be alarmed. You'd think, well, what's happening here? The child isn't growing. What about us as Christians? Should we also be growing? Should we be growing in confidence in the Lord? Should we be growing in faith? Should we be growing in love? Should we be growing in our ability to serve? Should we be growing in our ability to resist evil and to choose that which is good? Scary sometimes to think about it. But Paul prays in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Like a triple jump, a hop, step, jump. That your love may abound more and more. Well, what is love? Well, we can read what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, or we can look at the way Christ lived. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. These are the qualities of love. And Jesus commanded us, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It got me thinking, how would I like to be treated? If I am to love my neighbor as I love myself, How would I like to be treated? How would you like to be treated? Think about that for a moment. How would you like to be treated? So I was thinking about this. How would I like to be treated? Well, here are some of the ways in which I would like to be treated. Maybe they might echo with you. I don't know. I want to be treated as if I matter. I don't want to be dismissed as insignificant. I want to have some value placed on me. I want to be listened to. Do you? I want to be encouraged. Do you? I want to be understood. Do you? I want to receive grace and mercy when I fail. Do you? How do we want to be treated? Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Paul's praying that our love may abound more and more. And we need to have our love continually replenished, don't we? It's like your vehicle needs fuel. If you don't top your vehicle up with fuel, you won't be able to go anywhere. How do we top up our love? How do we replenish the love that God gives us? Well, there's various ways in which we can do it. We can pray. We can ask God, Lord, please fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Please just give me a bit more love that I might love others, that I might be less selfish than I am now. We can ask We can get into God's word and be encouraged through that. Hence me saying, please can you have a go at reading the whole book of Philippians. You may have already read it. But get into God's word. And you never know what God might say to you, how he might encourage you as you do that. By giving to others is another way in which we can replenish our love. And I'm not just talking about money. It may be time. It may be just a listening ear. It may may be just a hug. It may be saying to your child, I love you. If you're a parent here today, can I encourage you to do that? Can I encourage you to say to your child, I love you. I don't, it doesn't matter how old your child is, whether they're one year old or 55 years old. Can I encourage you? Give them a hug and say, I love you. 
I remember seeing a, a TV program on this family. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember they were talking about this. And I remember the child said to the parent, now the child was an adult. The child said to the parent, you never told me that you loved me. Oh, well, I, you know, I, I didn't need to say that. I didn't need to say that I love you because you know that anyway. You know that anyway. And the child says, actually, I wanted to hear it. Sometimes we can underestimate the power of words. How did God create the universe? He spoke his word. And words can have power. So it's just a little thing. I'd like you, if you're a parent, please can you encourage your children by putting your arms around them and saying, I love you. Really appreciate you. Um, that's one thing that we can do in order to help replenish our love. Because as we give, as we give to others, whatever it might be, of our time, of our industry, whatever it might be, then God will replenish our love. I pray that your love will abound more and more, is what the Apostle Paul says. Another way is we can get good people around us to help replenish our love. I've been blessed and privileged to have significant people in my life who've blessed and encouraged me. Some of you are sitting here today, but I want to mention two who are not here today. One is Joy's dad, Frank, who was just such a marvelous, marvelous example to me personally. He, he is the greatest encourager I have met in my 40 years or whatever it is of being a Christian. And not just a little bit better, but a lot better than most people. And not only that, but he had a wisdom And I still remember some of the things that he said to me, and I thought, that's so wise, that's going to stay with me. And uh, another one is Stuart Reed, of course. Stuart has been a great example to me. He's a man who's dedicated to proclaiming the word of God. He's got a passion for the gospel. And a couple of incidents that I remember to do with Stuart when I was in India uh, with him and Neil, and we were traveling back overnight uh, from somewhere on a train and uh, someone met us at the, air, uh, the train station and drove us to the church. And as soon as the car door opened, Stuart, with his Bible under his arm, ran into the church. Because he wanted to be there in order to make the commitment to proclaim the gospel. And I just was blessed to see that and challenged as well because I was pretty tired and I don't think I could have done that. And then another occasion was also I was going out to India to meet up with Stuart and Christine and... Uh, you know, you go through security and passport control and all that kind of stuff when you arrive in the country. It was the middle of the night. And as I made my way to the hotel, I thought, do you know what? It would have been really nice if one of the officials could have said, welcome to India. You know, nobody said anything. I thought, it would have been nice that. I don't know if we do it in the UK. Do we get a welcome to the UK? I'm not sure. I can't remember. But it would be nice if we did. Anyway, I got back to the hotel. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Opened my door and there was a sheet of paper on the floor picked it up in Stuart's handwriting, and he had written, Welcome to India. (laughs) So these guys have been a great inspiration. So all I'm saying here is get some good people around you who are going to encourage you, who are going to help replenish the love of God in your heart, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, not simply a head knowledge, but knowing the Lord in a personal way, getting up close and personal to him, sensing what he would like in a given situation. You see, Jesus... Once he was at the temple, and he was able to discern not only what was good, not only what was better, but he was able to discern what was the best. He was at the temple one day, and he saw people putting money into the treasury, and there was a widow who put just two coins in. And Jesus said, "Uh aha, 
She's put more in than the rest of them because she's given out of her poverty. He discerned that which was the best. When I was in Nepal a few years ago, we used to go in the early days and we would maybe buy a, try and buy a pashmina for our wives. And so you go into the shop and maybe it was load shedding time so there was no electricity, but they would have a, a bulb hanging down in the shop so you could see. And you'd go in, and they would be trying to sell you the most expensive one, obviously, and this is good quality, and so on and so forth. And, um, but actually, in order to see what it was real, you had to take it outside into the light, into the sunlight, to see what was the best. And what Paul is saying here is, in order to discern that which is the best, you have to be filled with the love of God. Isn't that a wonderful way? To discern that which is the best. To be filled with the love of God. I pray that your love may abound more and more. In order that you may discern. Knowledge and depth of insight. So we have a new status. We have a new life in Christ. And we're part of a new community. Lydia was probably quite wealthy as I said earlier. Then of course you had the slave girl. She was probably at the bottom of the social pile. And then you had the jailer who would have perhaps, at least he was employed. There would have been somewhere in between those two. But in Christ, equal. We're all different. We come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different incomes, different ages. But in Christ, we're one. We're all equal. In all my prayers for you, of you, Paul writes, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So here he is. Paul's in prison. He's chained up. He's under possible sentence of death. He's under the rule of a wicked emperor, opposed to Christianity, yet he prays with joy. And joy is a recurring theme in the letter. It comes out many times. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah says to the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, what is joy? Well, I read two definitions this week, which I found very helpful and very interesting. The first one is, joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. The second one, joy is the exuberant buoyancy of confidence in God. Two common things that come out there to do with confidence. There's a confidence here, quiet confidence or buoyant confidence in God that he is going to work out his purposes for good in my life. So when the chips are down, when it's looking dark, we have to remember this. Confidence in the Lord that his purpose will be established in your life. It is grace that brought me safe thus far, we sing, and grace will lead me on. And there will be grace for every day of your life. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said. Let those own worries worry about themselves. Face today, and you'll find that I will give you grace for today. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day in which you are alive. This is the day in which you have to face the challenges of your life. Not tomorrow. When tomorrow comes, his mercies will be new tomorrow. His grace will be new tomorrow. We need to, and so this joy that Paul has is a kind of settled joy. He is confident in the Lord. 
That things are going to work out. He is writing from a dark situation, an oppressive situation. He's chained up, and then he writes with joy and confidence in the Lord. Confidence in his ability to finish the work begun in us. Where's your confidence? Can you say, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you have that confidence that God is going to uphold you? No one can take you out of my Father's hand, Jesus said, for there's no one greater than my Father. And Paul prays with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, we're very blessed here at King's that we work in partnership for the gospel. But there are occasional difficulties. Of course there are in any community. It's how you handle them. It wasn't all sweetness and light in Philippi either. As we can read later on in chapter 4, there's a disagreement between Iodia and Syntyche. And Paul writes in order to try and help resolve that conflict that was going on. We don't exactly know what it was, but it wasn't all sweetness and light. I read this, which I found very helpful this week. People look differently when we pray for them, and especially if we thank God for them. So if there are any difficulties, pray for the people and thank God for them. And I was thinking other ways in which we could strengthen each other. Because Jesus said, you're a city set on a hill. You're a light to the world. And he meant that corporately. Now, we want to be a light in our community. We want to be a light here in Hazelmere, in the town, and far beyond. Can we strengthen one another? Paul's praying that our love may abound more and more. Well, can I make some suggestions? I already made one about your child. Maybe it's your husband or wife as well. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them. Paul, from this dark situation that he is in, what does he do? He writes a letter. He writes a letter encouraging them. He writes a letter giving thanks for them. He writes a letter reminding them of the truth. He writes a letter saying, being confident that God's going to finish this work. There may be opposition, but hey, we're on the winning side. Could we write a letter maybe? Could we write a card? Could we give a gift? Small, it doesn't have to be anything huge. It's amazing how small things can have a big impact. Or maybe that phone call. Let your love abound more and more. Let's appreciate and value and make sure that the light that God has put within us abounds more and more and shines out brightly into the darkness of this world. As part of our being in community, we encourage people to get into small groups, and you'll hear more about that, I expect, in a minute, where we can get connected with people at a deeper level. So, to finish, we have a new status. We're in Christ We're a new creation. We have a new worldview. It may bring us into conflict with our culture. We have new life, which is to grow and reflect Jesus to the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's love others as we love ourselves. That's a massive challenge. I appreciate that. We're part of a new community, supporting one another, partnering in the work of the gospel. And you've done an amazing job up here at Hazelmere. And it's so delightful to see everybody who's intensely involved in the work that's going on here. It's brilliant. Let's take time to value one another. Who could you write a letter to? Maybe send a card to. Maybe phone. Maybe give a simple gift. Maybe give a hug. Just give some time. However you do it, do it in love. Amen? Well, we thank you, Lord, for today. This is the day that you've made. 
And thank you, Lord, in the midst of any storm, you're the peace in the midst of that storm. Thank you that we're in Christ. Thank you that we're part of this new community, Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray, to encourage one another. In Jesus' name, amen.